So in the first four verses, we find out absolutely loads about Zacchaeus. It seems he lived and worked around the Jericho area, which was apparently quite a rich town. And Zacchaeus is described as being wealthy. The problem was, was that he made his money by collecting taxes for the occupying Romans. Not a great way of making friends. But added to that, we find out that by his own admission, Zacchaeus had cheated people out of money. Also, notice he was a chief tax collector, so he'd probably been ripping off the junior tax collectors too. All in all, Zacchaeus wasn't going to be winning any popularity contests. Being in the crowded streets of Jericho was probably quite an unpleasant experience for him. And on this particular day, Jericho was particularly busy. How easy it would have been for anyone who recognised him to stick the boot in, literally, and get away with it. Jericho was busy because Jesus was on his way through, on his way to Jerusalem during the last few days of his life and ministry. Jerusalem and the cross are just around the corner. So it's crowded and noisy. The scent of Jericho's balsam trees fills the air. And there's a buzz of excitement and anticipation building. Jesus is coming. We're told in verse 3 that Zacchaeus really wants to see who Jesus is. He's heard the stories of the preacher man and healer who hangs out with tax collectors and other sinners. Perhaps he's heard that one of Jesus' closest friends used to be a tax collector. I wonder if he's heard the story Jesus told earlier that week that also features a tax collector. We saw it in chapter 18 of Luke, the one where the tax collector in the story was praying and admitted to God that he was a sinner. He asked for mercy, and Jesus said because of this, he would go away justified, free. Zacchaeus has heard all of this, and he wants to see this Jesus for himself. He needs to see him, desperately. It's his only hope. He's a lost cause. He knows he's a sinner, and he knows everybody hates him. But there's a problem. He can't get near enough. He's even gone out of town to beat the rush, but it's no good. He's too short. Or maybe, <clears throat> excuse me, it's Jesus that's too short. The verse, if you check it, is ambiguous. But either way, he can't see Jesus, and he needs to see him. I don't think he even knows what he'll do when he sees him but he's desperate. So he runs ahead, in verse 4, and finds somewhere to get a better view. Bingo. There's a sycamore fig tree right there by the side of the road. Perfect. They're easy to climb, apparently, um, with just enough cover. Less chance of being spotted by the people who hate him, right? He's in position. He's ready to see the one who's been hanging out with lost causes like himself all over the region. It seems like such a funny scene. And it's easy to picture it in our minds, isn't it? But actually, the more I've read it, it's not so much comic as really sad. An unpopular man, albeit of his own making, stuck on the wrong path in life, unable to enjoy his wealth, needing a way out of the pickle that he's got himself into. I don't know about you, but I feel I can relate to Zacchaeus more than I ever thought I would. In the past, I've always found him quite unrelatable. I'm not a criminal or that unpopular, hopefully, 
But I am super aware that I'm rushing through life, ashamed of my many faults, finding life hard at times, being jostled around as if in an angry crowd by life's circumstances, worried about how others feel about me, and knowing that in all of this, I need Jesus. For all Zach's faults, he knew he needed to see Jesus. The good news of this story is that Jesus sees us. In our lostness, in Zach's lostness, in whatever tree we've climbed to get a better view of him, as we look for Jesus, or even just look at Jesus, he sees us. We have a God who sees us, really sees us. Notice that Jesus knows Zacchaeus' name. Our God knows us personally. We're told in Isaiah 43 that we don't need to fear because he calls us by name. We belong to him. We have his protection. Earlier in Luke, we're assured that he even knows how many hairs we have on our heads. He knows everything about us and yet is willing to go to the cross for us. Jesus must have had so much on his mind just days before facing a horrifically cruel death. And yet he still bothers to stop and call out to Zacchaeus. He knew what he was like. He knows what we're like. It's extraordinary and life-changing that the one who knows us best loves us the most. Just think about that. The one who knows us the best loves us the most. Do you believe this? That the God of the universe loves you because he loves you, because he loves you. <clears throat> Are you ever tempted to think, I get how God loves everyone in theory, but when it comes down to it, he's really quite grumpy and disapproving. <clears throat> or, I can accept that Jesus is really loving, but surely God the Father is just having his arm twisted and rather begrudgingly gives in to Jesus wanting us. Or maybe it's that you just can't imagine how or why anyone could love you or see past your faults and failings. I mean, sometimes we struggle to like ourselves, don't we? We judge God by our own standards and find it hard to believe that he is slow to anger and abounding in love for us. Can I just say that we've got God wrong, if that's what we think? Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father. As we see Jesus with Zacchaeus here, this is what God is like with us. Over the last few months in our home group, we've been discovering the truth about this. Slowly but surely, bit by bit, my view of God and his love for me has expanded and being gently corrected. There's not enough time to go into detail about this now, but I just want to recommend this book, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. It's by Dane Ortland, and we've been studying it together um, over months in our home group, little bits at a time. This is a quote from the introduction of the book. This book is written for the discouraged, the frustrated, the weary, the disenchanted, the cynical, the empty, those running on fumes, those whose Christian lives feel like constantly running up a descending escalator. 
it's for that increasing suspicion that God's patience with us is wearing thin. For those of us who know God loves us but suspect we've deeply disappointed him, who have told others of the love of Christ, yet wonder if, as for us, he harbours mild resentment. Anyway, I really recommend that book. Um, And perhaps if you're struggling to accept that God does love you, for whatever reason, maybe don't leave here this morning until you've asked somebody to pray with you. I'd be happy to do that, and I know Tom and others would as well. The great news is, is that Jesus not only sees us, he seeks us out. He came to where we are. It's as if he came to Jericho specifically to meet with Zacchaeus. He knew to look in that tree. He calls Zacchaeus by name and knows him through and through. He saw his mess, his bad decisions, his greed, his fear, his loneliness, but he also saw his heart. He saw that Zacchaeus was looking for him. I wonder what Zacchaeus thought would happen next. The text says he wanted to see Jesus, that's all. I'm guessing, but it feels like Zacchaeus wasn't expecting anything from Jesus. I wonder if, momentarily, as Jesus looked him full in the face, Zacchaeus' heart skips a beat or his blood runs cold, thinking that Jesus might be about to call him out for all his dodgy dealings in front of the crowd of people that he's wronged. But it's quite the opposite. Jesus saves him. Zacchaeus, says Jesus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. What a moment for Zacchaeus. In that moment, he comes out of hiding and into the light. He is welcomed and accepted. The people are moaning, but Zacchaeus doesn't care. It's really true. Jesus does befriend the sinner. God really does show mercy to the taxman who knows he doesn't deserve it. It's not just hearsay. It's not just theory. It's true. Notice how Zacchaeus, sorry, notice how Jesus comes to Zacchaeus's home. A guy called Terry Hinks, who used to be a minister at the church uh, where I was when I was 18, puts it like this. I climb to look beyond my crowded life, scanning the horizon for the stirred dust of your approach. You speak your word, inviting me to my own home, inviting me to know you where I am. I love that. Jesus makes the move towards Zacchaeus. He comes to make his home with us and makes it feel like home has never felt. Verse 9 says, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Jesus reinstates Zacchaeus into the family of God. Isn't this what we all crave? To be seen, known and saved. Given a home with him, where we can be made secure in his family and find significance and purpose in our lives. Jesus came to seek and save. God sees us. God saves us. But the people don't like it. All the people saw this, it says in verse 7, and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Why does a sinner like him deserve special treatment? Jesus said himself, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, but surely that means it's impossible when that wealth has been gained by cheating and corruption. Why does Zach get the special treatment? A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' encounter with the rich ruler, who asked Jesus 
what must I do to inherit eternal life? This exchange in chapter 18 provides a curious contrast with Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus just a few days or hours later. Is Jesus being inconsistent? On the one hand, we have the rich man of chapter 18. We know he's wealthy. We know he's tried to live a good life. He says he's kept the commandments. Then over the page in chapter 19, we have Zacchaeus. He's wealthy too, but we know he's not lived a good life. And yet, look at the outcome. The rich ruler gets told, keep trying, give up your money, be better, do better. That's the way to be saved. Zacchaeus gets told, come down from your hiding place. I'm coming for tea. And by the way, you're part of the family again. You're saved. So which is it? Try harder or get the scones out? Or is it just random? Or is it even the worse you behave, the more Jesus will give you attention? Is Jesus being unfair? What's going on? There's one more contrast between the two men that we need to notice to make sense of this situation. Look with me at chapter 18. It's verse 18. It's the first verse of that little, little section. The rich ruler says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But Zacchaeus, he's not thinking, what can I do? He's a mess and he knows it. And the answer, well, he doesn't have it, but he knows who to look to. Zacchaeus doesn't look to himself, his own achievements, his own goodness or status. He's lost. He's up a tree, for goodness sake, looking for and looking to Jesus, the only one who can save him. And Jesus is 100% up for the job. He's the only one ready, willing and able to save. We look in so many different places for salvation and often, like the rich ruler, we depend on ourselves, our status, our abilities or goodness. Or maybe we look to find significance or security in relationships or material possessions or escapism. There's only one place we find rescue, security and significance. There's only one place we find it. And it's in the person of Jesus Christ, who seeks us out, knows us completely, but loves us anyway. And notice how he doesn't wait for Zacchaeus to change his ways first. Don't think you have to get all your ducks in a row before Jesus will want to pop round for tea. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. He saw his heart. He saw that Zacchaeus was looking to him for help and he saved him. And he sees us. He knows our hearts. He knows if we are looking to him for help and he longs to bring salvation to our homes as he makes his home in our hearts. Get the kettle on, he's coming for tea. God sees, God saves, and finally and more briefly, you'll be relieved to know, God transforms. And what a transformation. I must admit, I've always imagined this, this story slightly differently from what it actually says. This is what I'd imagined. Jesus calls Zacchaeus down from the tree and invites himself in. They go into the house, which is conveniently right there. They have a long old chat, 
in which Jesus lays out the gospel, making sure that Zacchaeus will pass his REGCSE with flying colours. Then they come back outside to the smiling, somewhat friendlier crowd, and Zacchaeus says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That is honestly what I thought the story was. I even checked the other three Gospels to make sure that there wasn't a different Zacchaeus story in them. There isn't. What happens is actually Zacchaeus is seen, Zacchaeus is saved, and Zacchaeus is instantly transformed. There's no discussion, no theology lesson. It's like Zacchaeus is so bowled over by the presence of Jesus and his love and grace towards him that he Excuse me, that he just overflows with joy and gratitude and generosity as he makes amends for his past sins. He goes completely over and above what was required of him by the law. You can almost feel the relief and the joy and the new life pouring out of him. And let's contrast this with our friend, the rich ruler from chapter 18. His response to his Jesus encounter is to give away nothing and go away sad. The rich ruler is law-abiding and self-satisfied. Zacchaeus is broken and corrupt. The rich ruler is self-reliant. Zacchaeus is looking to Jesus. The rich ruler is unchanging and sad. Zacchaeus is totally transformed and full of joy. It's all about who we look to. It's all about Jesus. It's only when we look to him that we see transformation in our lives. I don't know if you've ever seen someone encounter the love of Jesus for the first time and experience the joy of knowing that they're saved. I have seen it, but I long to see it lots more. I haven't seen it very often. You actually see them change physically, and it's usually accompanied by positive changes to their life. But that's only the start. Transformation is a lifelong process that won't be finished until at last we see him face to face. I've been a Christian all my life, but I still have so much that needs to change. I often get frustrated that I don't see more change. But my default, actually, like the rich ruler, is self-reliance. And I easily forget who to look to for help. If only we pursued Jesus more completely and remembered that the one that knows us best loves us the most. If only we relied more heavily on him, opened ourselves up to him more in worship, asked for his spirit to fill us up every day. I wonder then how much more transformation we would see in our lives, how much more we'd be able to bless others as God's grace in our lives spills out of us. I don't know about you, but I long to see this happen. I'm desperate to see Jesus transforming lives. And my goodness, doesn't our world desperately need transformation? Think about people you know in your life, how much they need Jesus to see them and save them and transform them. This is the hope that we can hold out to the world. It's all good news. We've nothing to be ashamed of. The gospel is amazing. God is amazing. God is good and longs to bless us. And we don't have to feel responsible for anything other than telling people what a difference he's made to us. Earlier, I mentioned this book, Gentle and Lowly. And right at the end of the book, in the epilogue, you can easily miss it, actually. It says, go to him, 
All that means is open yourself up to him. Let him love you. The Christian life boils down to two steps. Step one, go to Jesus. Step two, repeat step one. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. God sees, God saves, and thank you, God, you don't leave us lost. As we close, um, if you're able to, please would you stand, and I'm going to pray. You might find it helpful if you want to, you don't have to, to put your hands out in front of you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are here with us by your spirit. Lord, we look to you for help this morning. Thank you so much that you seek us out. Thank you that you see us and love us just as we are. In the quiet, just enjoy that sense of being seen and known and loved. Thank you, Lord, that we don't need to hide from you. Thank you for your saving grace as we look to you alone for salvation. Forgive us for our self-reliance and pursuit of other things to make us feel better. In the quiet, perhaps recall your own story of salvation and enjoy knowing that you belong to Jesus. Or maybe for the first time, invite Jesus to save you and make his home in your heart. Thank you, Lord God, that you have the power to transform our lives. Help us to depend on you fully and deepen our relationship and reliance on you. In the quiet, bring to God the areas of your life that are difficult, painful or stuck and ask the transformer Jesus to help you.